started. So we're continuing on the Kingdom of God series, and this is going to be our third week and final week on Chapter 2 called The Kingdom of God Defined. Um, I might mention that uh, one one, uh, joy of being able to drive up to Cleveland and back uh, yesterday was I got to listen to a lot of John Wayne CDs. Thank you, Nathan, for making those for me. And uh, got to hear his message from last week twice. And uh, basically, it's a fantastic supplement to the Kingdom of God series. I mean, it's uh, um, goes right right along with what we're doing, and it was a great message. So, if you have not heard that on the podcast or whatever, please please do so. Uh, very important message. So, um, again, we're in chapter two. We're basically trying to define the Kingdom of God. And if you know Matthew six ten, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I uh, took the time over the last year or two to ask lots of Christians, uh, what do you think the kingdom of God is? And uh, almost no one knew. And they even said, I don't know. I know that phrase is in the Bible, but I don't know much about that idea. And of course, it is, it is the major theme of, of the whole Bible. It's the thing Jesus, Paul, and Peter all talked about the most. Uh, it's the thing the prophets talked about the most and, and Moses and so forth. So um, <clears throat> it's not something that has to do with heaven. A lot of people said, guess that what has to do with going to heaven when you die. Uh, but the whole point of Jesus' prayer is uh, God's will is perfectly done in heaven. His presence is fully manifest. And his intention in making the earth in the first place was to take the tabernacle of heaven and make it among men. He started by doing that in the Garden of Eden, which was a type or foreshadowing or a picture of the kingdom of heaven, uh, with uh, the first subjects being in relationship to God, in perfect relationship to God, unmarred by sin, and they were uh, uh, they were told to be fruitful, to multiply, subdue the earth, but they were given one test, not to, to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, And as long as they did that, they could eat of the tree of life uh, as long as they wanted, as much as they wanted. Uh, So um, as we define this kingdom of God, there's a subtitle there at the top of your page. What in God's earth is the is the kingdom of heaven? Now, there's uh, some reasons for choosing those words. First of all, one of the concepts in the Bible that's very important is the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Ever since the fall of man, both among uh, human beings with humanistic creature worship, uh, false religions, and among the satanic kingdom and their demons, God has enemies, and the vast majority of humanity... uh, has tended to be uh, opposing the God and his kingdom. And uh, men are not neutral. They're not just uh, passively deceived, but there actually is a power they're subject to, the Bible calls iniquity or sin, which is not uh, the shallow things we tend to focus on, like drunkenness and, and lying or whatever. Those are, the, those are more like the fruits of sin. They're the leaves of the tree, but the root of sin is the desire to be your own God and the desire not to seek God. There's none who seeks him, no, not one. Uh, most, all of us, uh, 
Uh, even when we grew up in Christian and religious homes, for some period of our life, we were running from the presence of the Lord, even as Adam and Eve did after their sin. And when we came to the Lord, we were hoping to maybe be religious, uh, go to church, whatever, but we weren't hoping to actually give our full life to God. And the gospel is that God came to save you from being your own God. And, um, and you cannot save yourself from your three insurmountable enemies of, your, of that sin nature that, that does not want to seek for God, that does not want to obey God, that wants to have our own agenda for, our, for everything, for our career, for, our, for marriage, for uh, what, what we define as true and not true, for how far we want to go with God. And, and so there is many doctrines of uh, I can have God and and uh, but have him on my terms and only let him go as far as is this, you know. So uh, you know, the, the, our tendency is to want uh, if we can't escape God altogether, and God in His grace and love, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If God in His grace and love brings us to a place where we can't run away from the fact that God exists. And maybe he takes us far enough where we can't run away from the fact that we need him. We want to try to hold on to we can't, we only need him once in a while. <laughs> we only need him when we're really in trouble. We want to have sort of an attitude of God, get in the back seat and uh, I'll drive, you stay in the back seat. And then when I really mess up and I'm about to have a bad accident, I'll cry, I'll pray. And you know, I often talk to people, they'll, they'll say, well, I pray. <laughs> well, and so the, the demons. But, uh, and, uh, but uh, it's a matter of what God wants to do in your life is he wants to form Christ in you. Christ was the perfect human being, and we are all flawed human beings. And Christ's main motivation was that he always delighted to do the Father's will. You can see that in Hebrews 1. You can see that in the Gospels. You can see Jesus make quite a few statements about that in the uh, Gospel of John. And uh, Jesus and the Father are one. So the kingdom of God, this is really important, is where God's will is willingly entered into. Believe it or not, even anti-Christian uh, philosophers, anti-Christian kings and, and government officials, uh, wicked people, uh, even Satan himself and his demons, ultimately serve God's purpose. If you want to know why you have so much demonic trouble in your life, because God loves you so much that he wants you to come to a place where you realize that you, you cannot overcome that without actually submitting your life and your heart fully to God. And that when you're walking with him, he will empower you by his word, by his spirit, and with the help of his church, he will empower you to overcome the temptations you face. And, uh, he'll, and that's what the Bible calls freedom. Uh, our culture calls freedom the ability to do what we want, when we want, how we want, and why we want it. Uh, but the, the Bible calls that the ultimate slavery or the ultimate bondage because you begin to actually... Uh, be subject to what you think you want is actually things that are coming out of your sin nature and demonic things such as like you begin to be subject to fears or or laziness or procrastination or selfish ambition or pride or envy or worry or or what uh, any number of things that is not God's best for you 
But when he, when he, when he comes into your heart and he grants you repentance, that is the turn. Repentance is not just turning away from, but it's a turning toward a life of actively loving, seeking, and wanting to know God through his spirit, through his word, through his church. As, as he liberates us to do that, he empowers us by the grace of God. Grace is more than his acceptance, and it's more than his choosing you because you didn't when we didn't deserve it. But he also begins to empower you to be Christ-like and to become the person you were always intended to be. He came to set you free from your anger management problems. He came to set you free from your addictions. He came to set you free from your fears. He came to set you free from, from the Daffy Duck syndrome. There was a famous uh, Looney Tunes where Daffy, Daffy Duck uh, was after what B Bugs Bunny had. And, and uh, he was, he, Daffy Duck said, mine, 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 the, the whole cartoon. And, uh, all, you know, it's amazing when you raise kids. I raised four kids. Uh, all of them learn the concept of mine before they learn the concept of yours or sharing. <laughs> all of them needed some grace in their life to learn the concept of yours <laughs> and uh, things like that. So Jesus actually came to be the perfect person through you. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. He came to actually put you in harmony with your nature. So if you uh, uh, could see where God's taking you, it's to a level of confidence uh, uh, that, uh, that you could not imagine now. It's a level of wisdom that you could not imagine now. It's a level of not just knowing the answers, but it's a, it's a level of being the answers that you could never even imagine at this point. And the only way you can begin to imagine that is to start with studying the gospels over and over again and meditating your life on Christ. So um, there we go. So with that, uh, we've been we've uh, gotten through the first uh, several segments of this Kingdom of God series. Uh, I'm going to read a couple of them real quick. Hi, Brandon. How are you? Uh, the Kingdom of God is the reign, government, rulership, or dominion of God. It's that realm in which His good and perfect will is willingly enacted. Not only in heaven. This is number one. Everyone have an outline. I hope. Uh, not only in heaven, but on the earth now. Like the Bible keeps saying, like, now faith is, Hebrew 11. Today is the day of salvation. The fact is, the only place where God in reality, because God is the ultimate reality, intersect your life or intersect the time-space continuum is uh, right this second, now. God is eternally now. It's, it's always about how you're responding to God right now. So uh, God uh, owns the whole world, and his will is always done. But the, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Uh, those phrases are interchangeable in the Bible as being uh, enter, willingly uh, entering into God changing our hearts so that we're willing to by his power, enter into his reign now. And to quit being control freaks and the Lord of our life and everything like that. The kingdom's both present and future. It's not primarily heaven. 
there would be no sense thy kingdom come as in, as in heaven as it is in heaven. <laughs> that wouldn't make much sense because the will of God, there is no evil dwells in the presence of the Lord, the Bible says. In his presence is the fullness of joy. There's no sorrow, mourning, sadness. Uh, there's nobody battling with depression. Uh, you know, uh, real Christians battle with depression at times, as John pointed out in his message two weeks ago which I also listened to in the car last night. Um, I have had battles and bouts with depression at different times in my Christian life, and uh, but uh, not when I'm in the presence of God. <laughs> Simple as that. Um, not when I'm taking the perspective God wants me to have. So um, for number five, God's predestined purpose has always been and remains to, to produce a kingdom of priests born of his spirit, filled with his spirit and extending the manifest presence of his spirit. That is, God wants a corporate temple on the earth. And the whole Bible is foreshadowings of that temple from the Garden of Eden to the tabernacle Moses built, to the tabernacle Solomon built, to the tabernacle Ezra and Nehemiah and company rebuilt, to the vision of Ezekiel's temple that was never built but uh, was a vision. And, uh, and so forth, God has, God's intention in all of that was to foreshadow how he wanted to put stone together with stone. First Peter calls us living stones. And he wanted a temple that was built according to his pattern. That's probably the primary uh, struggle we've had over the last 150 years is more and more models of what it means to be the people of God, to do church together and so forth are based on more mar uh, marketing ideas and modern ideas. And, and uh, I'm reading a very good book called Slow Church right now, which is basically uh, arguing um, that uh, if, if you really want to build uh, Christ-like disciples, you need to take time to invest in a long-term process. And it, as long as it's growing gradually, and uh, uh, you, you basically can't grow too fast in quantity, or you'll lose the quality. And uh, because of Henry Ford and McDonald's and so forth, we have uh, come to a place where we kind of measure the success of church by how many people are going through the turnstile, not how deeply they're being converted and how radically they're becoming disciples and whether their discipleship looks how, like how Jesus defined it in the Gospels. Does that make sense? And God, if you notice, whenever there's a whenever there's a foreshadowing of the tabernacle, look in Exodus uh, 40 for this. Uh, had a Bible study with Anvesh and Nathan about this Thursday night uh, at Milano's, late at night. To what what time we quit? About one or whatever they threw us out. I think it was about midnight. Actually, I don't think it was any that late. It was early yet, but uh, it, we went through the book of Exodus and how Moses was told to make it according to the pattern, make it according to the pattern, and then it just says over and over, exactly as the Lord showed him, so he made it. Exactly as the Lord showed him, so he made it. He didn't have any better ideas. He didn't have any improvements. He didn't say, God, s s just stay in the back seat. I, we got this. We, You know, I was a marketing major. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was Moses didn't do any of that. And he made it exactly as God said. And when he had completed everything to the detail of God's pattern, not man's, then the glory of God filled the tabernacle in such a way that it said the priest couldn't stand to minister. The glory of God was so heavy, they had to back out. <laughs> and, uh, um, and the thing that I want to encourage us is that we 
live in a better covenant. Three times the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. God wants to build the kind of temple and the kind of church that is so uh, in love with him, so following him and and through the crosses uh, of not my will, but thy will be done. And, and And as we mature, he wants to put the power of his spirit in a way that's beyond uh, what what you you could even imagine. The only way you can start to get a glimpse of it is to study the, the power of God's presence in Scripture. <clears throat> and uh, uh, we are making progress and growing toward that, but uh, I hope we're all anxious for the day because the Bible says that the Lord will, f- will fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. And as John pointed out in his message last week, uh, this, the water covers the seas completely by definition, <laughs> right? So uh, God wants to fill the earth with his glory. And he wants to do it through a people for, uh, that is, is called the ecclesia, his called out assembly that is his special treasure. So with that, uh, let's look at number nine. No person can have any ultimate fulfillment. Uh, I like the fact that uh, although I don't, wouldn't encourage you to watch any of them or so forth, but it's interesting that the genre of zombie movies has become so, uh, as our culture has become progressively more pagan over the last 50 or 60 years, that's a, a kind of a phase we're going through. But the, because the Bible actually depicts before you really love Jesus, before you're really filled with his spirit, before he regenerates you, before he grants you conversion and the, the new birth, we're actually, we're actually spiritually dead. We're dead people walking around, and everybody finds a way of coping. And because uh, we are running from God, everyone finds a way of coping where they're basically convincing themselves, this is working for me. But the truth is, uh, it's not because it can never work for you. You were created to love God and know God. St. Augustine, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are ever restless till they find their rest in you. The the more God gives you grace to to seek him and grow in Christ and be sanctified and be full of biblical knowledge and wisdom and uh, empowered by his spirit and in right relationship with the community of Christians and working together, toward the three ministries of all Christians, worshiping, loving, knowing God is the first ministry, serving and loving each other is the second ministry, and reaching out to the lost is the third ministry. And the more we keep that in proper perspective, the more your life will start coming into harmony with how you were created to be. And that's what the Bible calls the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Joy and peace are right at the uh, start of that list. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So the, no person can have any ultimate fulfillment, purpose, or joy without the illumination that is the lights coming on and God opening our eyes to, to knowing and experiencing Jesus as our loving king. He is called in church history the living word of God. Revelation 19, John 1, lots of places who is made manifest, that is, he becomes present, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. He becomes present through the written word, and by aligning uh, our lives together and our character and our purpose, 
with King Jesus's life, character, and kingdom purposes. John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. There really is a thief. The thief comes only to kill, rob, and destroy. Actually, God, my, my, one of my passions for, for building a, a group of Christians that are really, really on fire and passionate for God and study and take, take this uh, farther is because I see so few Christians who I would describe their marriage, their careers. Uh, you know, God is not just about your prayer life or your devotions. God is about your career. He's about your uh, your schoolwork. If you're if you're a college student, then right now your career is to do well in school, and uh, and prepare for the other career he has for you. Uh, it's just as spiritual to be an accountant as it is to be a pastor. That's kind of a misaligned thing in our day and age. You know, to own businesses, to be an engineer, to be a pastor, to be a nurse, to be a doctor, to be a lawyer. That that is just as high of a calling as to be a pastor or a missionary. And it will take you doing it uh, to the glory of God, for the glory of God, with all, uh, with all emptying of yourself and all admitting to God, I cannot be the kind of accountant you want me to be unless I know you more and you empower me better. Um, I, I could be an accountant, but I really won't fulfill the purpose of God and know the joy and, and use, uh, use this accounting job to influence people for Christ and to have the finances to take care of my family and extend the kingdom and, and find great fulfillment in, in bean counting, uh, which is what accountants do, <laughs> bean counters, and, uh, some, sometimes, and so forth. So you, you can never know your full purpose apart from uh, fully serving the Lord. And you will be able... This is very important. The biggest deception that we all have to overcome is you will be able to build a life that seems to cope or work for you. But you'll never be able to build a life that's really what God calls abundant or fulfilling. Because you know what? He's a jealous God. He loves you and he's jealous for you to love him fully because that's he loves you so much that he knows that you're in your ultimate best interest. All right, so number 10, the Bible contains a progressive revelation of the mystery of the kingdom of God. Uh, as explained all through the Bible, uh, the mysteries of Christ and our kingdom are presented clearly and plainly and pervasively throughout every chapter of Scripture, yet in such a way that no one can fully grasp their, the meaning of the kingdom or anticipate its fulfillment uh, because God has ordained that a veil will lie over the hearts and minds of all of the seekers until it's lifted by the Holy Spirit through the through revealing Christ. Uh, Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 3, if you want to look it up. So that leaves us number 11 and 12 to go and, and uh, 22 minutes to cover it. So that's, uh, hopefully we can finish this uh, today. Believe me, if you understand what I'm saying, uh, I'll just submit to you that uh, I have a friend named uh, Father Wayne McNamara. He's uh, pastors of church that Larry and I and some others started back in... 1984, and a good, good man of God and studies the scriptures and so forth, uh, uh, probably more than I do at this point. Um, and a wonderful guy, teaches a Bible survey one and two at a, at a very good Christian high school and so forth. And we both uh, look back, you know, we're talking uh, two guys that have probably read 
at least hundreds of Christian books that have probably at least been through the Bible dozens of times and that have listened to probably more than a thousand Christian messages, easily more than a thousand Christian messages. And uh, we still both consider the first time we heard these ideas that I'm giving to you in, in chapter two of the kingdom of God in 1975, the most important message that we've ever heard. If you get this, it'll take your Christianity to a whole new level because you begin to understand that God is not just wanting to have you pray the sinner's prayer, receive Jesus, and then do your own thing till you go to heaven. That is a tragedy. Now, I'm not going to go so far as a lot of people like to joke that if that's all God had in mind, then we should have people come forward and pray to receive Jesus, and then we should shoot them so that there's no backsliders. Well, <laughs> that may be funny, but uh, God has much more in mind for you. Um, that's an old joke that lots of people tell. But, you know, God uh, delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, but then uh, he delivered Egypt out of the Israelites. Does everyone get that? And in order to deliver, uh, stay focused on me. He's cute and all, but please, please uh, stay focused. You, you need to hear this stuff. I love having babies in the meeting, but it requires us to, to focus. So we can enjoy Samuel and listen to the word of the Lord at the same time. So, you know, um, if, you, if you look through Exodus, God is always telling us stuff by symbolism in his word. And there's a very important point. The first generation all had to die. Even Moses himself didn't go, get to go in the promised land. Two representatives, Joshua and Caleb, of the first generation got to enter the promised land. The rest died. <laughs> Not an exciting message. It's an exciting message if you, if you understand it. Because what God is saying is, you can't go into the promises of God. You can't go into the life God uh, ordained for you unless you die. You know, I often will hear, have Christians call me when they're, you know, James 1 said, uh, says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials and testings of your faith. And they'll come, man, I'm going through some stuff. Pray for me. What's going on here? Well, he's trying to kill you. <laughs> he is. He's trying to take you to the Garden of the Gethsemane where you say, not my will, which is the most stubborn thing we have. I want, I, you know, I, I, I. Um, and, he's, and he's trying to say, thy will be done. And you cannot, the reason even Jesus, who had no sin nature, had to pray in Gethsemane that hour when the disciples fell asleep and so forth. Uh, that gives you comfort to... There, uh, some people fall asleep during the, the messages, and apparently John has more trouble with that than me. I've, I've watched the, the audience, and um, well, you can just say, "Could you not watch with me one brief hour in forty forty minutes? <laughs> Couldn't you watch with me three quarters of an hour?" Um, so, um, Jesus Himself had to pray to be empowered by the grace of God. It, how much more us, right? Uh, you will find great grace at the point of humility, and humility 
is acknowledging that I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When we're young Christians, we have this tendency to put the emphasis on I can do all things. Um, I uh, have gradually over the last 11 years moved from a master's degree to a doctorate degree in what, uh, what some call the school of failure. Um, I... Uh, just because I'm a little older than most of you, I guess, may, might be one of the reasons. But believe me, I've failed more than, than all y'all. All y'all. Uh, that's what the, the radio preachers like to say. I've failed more than all y'all. Y'all, all y'all aren't hearing what I'm saying. Uh, uh, they love to say that stuff. All y'all aren't hearing me. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've become an expert at uh, disappointing the Lord and uh, falling short of the grace of God and so forth. And that has been a wonderful thing. Because gradually, my life has gotten more consistent, more faithful, more holy, better movement, more grace, because I less often fall into the trap of starting to lean on my own understanding. See, what, when we're young Christians, you know, we're, we're, we're desperate. We're, we know we've really messed it up. We've messed up. You know, we've been fired from three jobs. Our mother even hates us. <laughs> whatever, whatever, you know, whatever problems we come to the Lord with. And, uh, and uh, you know, God begins to empower us and help us, and we begin to, begin to grow, and we begin to gradually say, I got this. <laughs> you know, uh, boy, I'm, I'm a pretty good Christian. One of my most embarrassing things of my whole life is that um, I was really on fire for God the first four, five, six months I was a Christian, and uh, God delivered me from drugs and all kind of stuff, fears, and all, all kind of changes were happening, and it was exciting. And I actually th had this thought. I thought, wow, if I continue to grow, I'll probably be a pretty ma mature Christian in about seven years. <laughs> like, now that is so embarrassing because, of course, 40 years and I'm, uh, you know, at best a baby Christian in some areas, an adolescent in other areas, maybe a mature Christian in some, some ways. But uh, because Christ is, is, the, is the model. When, it, when you fully look like Christ, then you'll be a mature Christian. Uh, you can pursue that all your life. The wonderful thing is you got to love the process of seeking him and growing and becoming more mature because the only destiny in life is more of Christ. Uh, so let's get into number 11. The kingdom of God is the jurisdiction, which you could say reign of God. It's where his government is. And the people of God, that is the church, are the agent of the kingdom. God doesn't just bring his kingdom in some haphazard way. <clears throat> he brings it through three agents, the word of God, the spirit of God, and the church. And the word of God and the spirit of God and the church are inextricably intertwined. You will never have the word of God and the spirit of God really come to you except as God has brought it through the church. The very scriptures we read, God by the Holy Spirit through the sovereignty, sovereign acts in history, preserve those. Uh, the 27 books of the New Testament were all written before the fall of Jerusalem in, in 70 AD. They were all written within the first generation of the apostles. And God, and they started copying them and spreading them. And, got, and it's a fascinating study if you ever want to study how we got our New Testament and why it's uh, more than 100 times more reliable than any other ancient literature. We have way more copies and ways of verifying what the original said and so forth than any other ancient literature. 
And God's word and God's spirit always come to you through his church. Even when you're reading the Bible by yourself, it was his church that delivered that Bible to your desktop, laptop, uh, hard copy of the Bible, whatever. You, could, uh, you cannot have God as your father if you're not willing to embrace the church as your mother. The more distant relationship you have from the church, the more you want it to just be a see, see you on Sunday and be able to hide in the crowd and impersonal, the less you'll actually know God. The more you get involved with Christians that iron sharpens iron, Christian sisters living together if they're single, Christian brothers living together if they're single, uh, you know, living in community, having meetings from house to house, uh, small home group meetings, and so forth, um, the more the agencies of God's kingdom, which is your liberation, you're, the more you're going to be liberated to become Christ-like, the more you're not going to be bound by fears, selfish ambitions, jealousies, inability to face conflict positively, and all the things that hold people back. So the, again, the kingdom of God is the reign of God, and the people of God are the agent of that kingdom. God will bless you or afflict you with roommates, pastors, friends, according to what you need to enter the kingdom. And because we're fallen, uh, there will always be some conflict involved. That's why Jesus teaches in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 principles of how to use conflict redemptively. Because some people use conflict to run from God, and some people use conflict to build bridges to one another. And when you build bridges to one another, you'll build bridges to Christ, because Christ is living in that sister who's sitting next to you. And there's a part of his revelation to you that you're going to find only in Christian community. The people of God are therefore supposed to be a nation or a kingdom, uh, a city within the nations, a city within the cities. And we're supposed to have a separate and unique priesthood. One of the, one I heard a certain guy who's in the room right now, uh, sharing with somebody, and he shared a very good thing. He said, one of the things that's happened, if you kind of study uh, the church history over the last 150 years, is more and more and more the distinctions between what is Christian and what is not Christian have become blurred. And our life looks like, uh, in so many ways, we uh, our life conforms to the lost people's life. We have outbursts of anger in front of our kids or on the job or uh, in front of our neighbors or whatever. We have uh, uh, financial management issues where they say the average Christian today gives 2 or 3% of their income to the, to the kingdom of God, to their church. Well, that's better than zero, maybe, maybe not, because the, the, the Bible plainly teaches to tithe. Give ten, the, the 10%. It, according to the Bible, represents the whole. And so when you give the 10%, you're saying to God, you gave me life. It's an act of worship. You gave me life. You gave me motivation, ability to even have a job. You provide an economy and wealth. And 100% of it is yours. But 10% represents the whole. There's an idea very common today where 10% is God's and 90% is mine. No, 10% represents that 100% is God's. 
and he wants you to take the other 90% and invest it in your education or Christian books or uh, offerings to effective ministries, or especially, of course, taking care of your wife. The Bible says if anyone uh, does not provide for their own for their own family, they're actually worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. Wow, that's pretty radical stuff. Uh, he's saying that basically, if you're if you're not willing to provide for your family. And uh, if you don't diligently take the steps you need to do so, you are wor worse than being lost. You are lost. You've denied the faith. So, uh, again, Christians have a, a separate priesthood. We are to have a separate government. Our government is the word of God, the Holy Spirit, and the leadership of whatever body of Christians we're uh, part of. And, uh, and as we study God's word and come to know him more, we come progressively under how he wants us to live. That's, the early Christians had, were not called Christians until later in the book of Acts. There was two things they called the Christians. One was disciples. Meaning in the Greek word, Matthias, uh, we get mathematics from, means someone who has come under the teaching, the values, the attitudes, of another. So the early Christians were seen as the followers of Christ who were who were committed to being coming Christ-like long before the name Christian was invented. So there weren't Christians as we have today and then an optional extra of becoming disciples. That that didn't exist. The other thing they were called was the way. Now there's actually a cult called the Way International unfortunately. Uh Cults have to ruin everything. But uh, <laughs> um, but it was because they had a way of life. And everyone knew these people belong to a covenant community. They all live this Jesus way. So, uh, again, we're supposed to have a separate, unique priesthood, government, culture, laws, language, economics, taxes, Race, there's two races in the earth. Jesus said, a time will come when the dead will hear my voice and those who hear will live. Those who hear the word of God, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm glad that we're making some headway for is I want to build an interracial, international church. Why? Because the early Christians did. There was no distinction between Jew and Gentile, between Jew and Samaritan, so much so that by the second century, the biological Jews who now understood that they were sons and daughters of Abraham by faith uh, had intermarried with the Gentile people so much that there was no separate biological identity of Jewishness in the church. And that's how gradually it, the, what started as a Jewish movement uh, became absorbed in just a movement of people who live by faith. Um, we're supposed to have separate leadership models. We have servant leadership models. We have plural leadership models. The idea of the super pastor and, and the superstar pastor, which is, has uh, kind of emerged, is not a scriptural idea. Um, it's, it's always, it was always in the New Testament a plurality of leaders. And we each have our own giftedness. 
It doesn't, uh, you know, I'm the second best Bible teacher in this church, and that doesn't threaten me at all. I'm, I'm glad that we have different gifts doing different things. And unfortunately, I'm also the second best Sunday school teacher for the, for the kids <laughs> and, and so forth. And I'm probably second best in almost everything, <laughs> except for I can't play any music very well. Of course, I could used to play guitar and piano, but they fired me because I wasn't any good. But uh, our leadership models are plural and servant. Our philosophy of education. Uh, one of the things that's so prevalent today is that uh, it is uh, pastors are under a lot of pressure to say something really innovative and new in every message. And the biggest churches always have the guys that are really charismatic speakers and can uh, give you something you haven't heard before. Sorry to say, but the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about repeating, 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 repeating. Remember, remember, remember. Make memorial stones. Do this in remembrance of me. Second Peter, his, he, he knew he was about to be executed by Nero in Rome, and so he said, I'm writing this three times. He says, I'm writing this so you'll always be able to remember what I've always taught you anyway. I'm just, another Second Peter, he says three times, I'm writing this epistle to repeat myself. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we, uh, we, we have become kind of, we've kind of developed this kind of Americanized culture, but uh, the truth of the matter is what the church is supposed to get back to is a biblical culture on everything. You know, uh, when I hope uh, to God, when people move, people uh, help them move, and and we we have teams of people to help do this and help help whatever we're doing, paint paint the bedroom, what whatever. Uh, servant leaders, do something that's that for someone else in the body that's not for you. Uh, we have, you know, again, we have all kinds of these things that I do want to hit kind of on this unique priesthood thing and, and help you understand. The priest in the Bible of the Old Testament were foreshadowing the priesthood of Christ and the priesthood that every Christian now has. And one of the major uh, functions of a priest was to study the law of God, to study the word of God, and to teach everyone else that. And there is really no kind of Christianity where you're not called to be a fisher of men. And that is a proclaimer of Christ and a teacher of everything. Matthew 28, go into all the world, make disciples and teach them everything that I have taught you. When someone's life looks fully like the New Testament life, then they're done. You're done leading them to Christ when they're actually fully there and, and, uh, and leading others to Christ. A disciple is a full disciple when they, their life progressively is looking like Jesus more and more all the time, and they're able to take other people on that journey. Number 12, clarification or caution. This is important. The people of God are primary. I might do a whole message on this. The people of God, I might have a part D next week. We'll see. The people of God are the primary agent of the kingdom. We, uh, we'll talk about that in chapter 8, the three agents of the kingdom, which we mentioned today um, of this series. And we are not exactly or completely synonymous with the kingdom of God in at least two important ways. The kingdom of God, we are not synonymous with the, with the kingdom of God in at least two important ways. Number one, 
The citizens of the kingdom are never fully experienced the kingdom of God due in this life due to sin and finiteness. So if I raised, um, if I asked for a show of hands of anyone who's fully living under King Jesus in the kingdom of God, and that's perfectly manifest throughout your life, um, possibly we could have someone raise their hand if they didn't understand the question. <laughs> but, but otherwise, no one's going to be raising their hand, right? Not even me. Yeah, Brandon will raise his hand, which uh, maybe means that he needs to understand the question better. So um, so we are, uh, this, it's not just because of our sin. This is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, you know, we have a thing we teach called the shootout principle, how to use conflict in a more redemptive way and how to how to actually use conflict as, the, as a probably the most important way of a thing that you can use to grow in your life is is doing conflict well. And we all hate conflict. Anybody love conflict? <laughs> Anybody love, love to go in the work on Monday morning and find out that three or four of the employees are mad at you <laughs> so, <laughs> or whatever? The, you know, nobody loves conflict. But even if we didn't have sin, which we all have in abundance, uh, some of us, you know, have just baskets and baskets full of those. We, uh, we would have conflict. Why? Because you're finite, therefore your perspective is limited. When you're talking, you will misinterpret facial expressions from what the person intended to say versus what you read. You'll misinterpret words, or they'll misuse words, right? Anybody have perfect command of the English language to the point where you never miscommunicate, <laughs> right? Uh, not, not too much. So the truth is, we would actually, if we had anything more than a see you on Sunday, uh, it's easy to get along if you're in a big enough church where there's not much personal relationships, but if you have a church, uh, even you know what most big churches that really know what they're doing do is they have lots of small groups within the church as well, right? And you would have conflict in your small groups with your roommate, with your spouse, with your best brothers and your best friends in the church, even if there was no sin involved, because we're limited. So the first thing is that the kingdom of God, we never fully are experiencing it. We all need to, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First and foremost means we need to seek more of the kingdom coming into our life, more of King Jesus. You need Jesus, I need Jesus, and I need Jesus a lot more than I have him right now. Right? Secondly, uh, the kingdom of God and the purposes of God are always larger than the people of God. This includes using the people of God to bless the whole earth. Now, I'm out of time. I wish I could develop this subject more. I'll pray about whether to even do another whole message on this because it's that important. We are called, the more Christ-like you become, the more effective. It's one thing to, have, to, to be involved in uh, Wiz Kids or Rock Campus Fellowship or re marital counseling. But the more you embrace the crosses of your life, the more you study, the more you become Christ-like, the more wisdom and anointing and, and favor God puts on you, the more you're actually able to bless everyone else around you. You can only actually help people on the other side of Gethsemane. 
Everything else is just theoretical Christianity, which we have way, way, way too much Greekified uh, theoretical Christianity that's just about ideas and not about power that comes out of dying to live. If a grain of wheat stays by itself, it bears no fruit. But when it dies, it, and it's buried in the ground, it's buried in the, among the people of God. We are called God's ground, God's field in the scriptures. When, when the grain of the word of God is buried in, in your life in the church, and you die to self and go through the cross, on the other side, your life becomes useful to your wife, to your kids, to your family, to your scout troop, to, uh, to the people uh, you serve as a nurse or whatever. Amen.